Amen. All right, so uh, I want to start off with one of my one of my favorite pastors, one of my favorite writers, Paul David Tripp. I put this uh, quote on your handout. I love what he says. Listen to what he says. He says, "You and I don't need to be rescued only from the idols around us. No, we need to be rescued from our own idolatrous hearts." One thing I, I think about when I think about challenges is I think about external challenges, right? I think about the things out there, the things that I'm going to face out there. But, but the reality is some of the most difficult challenges are not out there. They're in here. <laughs> they're, they're in my mind. They're in my heart. They're in my soul. And so when you think about challenges, yes, there are external challenges, but really... More importantly, there are internal challenges that we face. And I believe Paul David Tripp nails it, right? Many times when we think about idolatry, we think about the idols out there, but it's our idolatrous heart that is the real problem. And so we don't need God just to rescue us from the idols that are out there. We need God to rescue us from the idolatrous hearts that we possess. And and so I love what Paul David Tripp says uh, in his Bible study. Um. I don't know if you've been watching sports lately, but uh, a lot of football teams in the NCAA are having spring practices and spring games. LSU recently hired uh, a new head coach, Brian Kelly, and uh, I was listening to an interview just last week. Um, he quickly hit the recruiting trail. He went out and he, he was looking for players. He Not only players, he was looking for coaches. He had to build a whole new coaching staff. And uh, they asked him, they said, Coach Kelly... What, what are some of the challenges that you are facing right now? Talk about some of those challenges. And he talked about the challenge of recruiting players. He talked about the challenge uh, of bringing in coaches who, who lined up with his plan and his direction. But here's what he said. He said, there's one challenge that stands out more than any other. It's the divisions within the program that need to be addressed and that need to be dissolved. So did you hear that? Coach Kelly at LSU, the new head coach, he wasn't talking about the problems of recruiting new players or the problems of recruiting new coaches. He said the real challenge is that there are divisions within the program. And if we don't address those divisions and dissolve those divisions, who cares about all the other stuff? That's pretty good. Divisions. That's what I want to talk about tonight. That's really what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is all about. It's about divisions. So what can cause divisions? I really summed it up with three words. What can cause divisions? You could probably say a lot of things. But as we'll see in 1 Corinthians, I believe there's three things that can cause divisions. Number one, sin. Sin is what causes divisions. Sin is what separates. Amen? That's what the Bible says. It separates. Listen, it doesn't just separate us from God. It separates us from each other. So sin can cause divisions. Another word that I would use when it comes to causing divisions is self. Self. Me. I can cause divisions. You want to know why? Because I'm a Burger King guy. I want it my way right away. Not your way right away. Right? We were talking about menus and food and stuff like this. And You might not know this about me, but I don't like cheese. I really don't. I don't want anything with cheese in it. Uh, it's just me. And, and so you and I might not get along when it comes to menus, right? Because if you bring something in here with a bunch of cheese in it, I ain't eating it. You might eat it, but guess what? I'm mad at you for bringing it. 
Why didn't you bring something without cheese, right? It, see, what we're, see what I'm saying? It's self, right? You got sin and you got self. And then a third word is idolatry. Idolatry. When, when we bow down to idols and serve idols, it, it's hard to serve others in a godly way. When we're serving idols, we're really serving self. The word divided, it means to be separated. It means to have a barrier. That's what divided means. And so if we're divided in our relationships, if we're divided in our churches, many, many times it's because of our own sinfulness. Sin, self, idolatry. And I'm going to tell you something about division in churches. Division happens in churches when we choose to reject the differences of others rather than embrace them. Did you hear me? Division in churches happens when we choose to reject the differences of others rather than embrace them. Because here's the truth, right? There are things that you're going to like that I don't like. And there are things that I like that you're not going to like. How many of you have ever been a part of a building program? Some of us in this room? Do we agree on the color of the paint all the time? Nope. Do we agree on what kind of floor we're putting down? Nope. Listen, we are all different. And differences do not have to cause division. Differences do not have to cause division. Okay? We can be different and embrace our differences and continue to move in the same direction and love each other. We can but you better, you better have the Spirit of God in you and you better be focused on God to make it because if not, it's going to be difficult. And so I've given you a taste of what we're going to talk about tonight. I do want to stop for just a minute and tell you a little bit about the city of Corinth. Now you notice I haven't said a whole lot about Paul. Um, I'm going to use the next few weeks to give you some things about Paul. I didn't want to just come in and do a study about Paul tonight. It's not about Paul. It's about the church at Corinth and his letter to them. So I'll give you some information about Paul as we go along, but I just want to tell you about the city of Corinth. Now, I put a map on the screen. I want you to look at this, and I made it as big as I could. Uh, so if you've got bad eyes, just bear with me for a moment. But if you look up here at the map, uh, Corinth right here, it's a part of Greece, okay? And it's right here along the Aegean Sea. Right down here south is the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, if you move over to the west, you have Israel, Syria, um, Asia Minor. Um, but Corinth is right here at the bottom of Greece, okay? And so I wanted you to kind of have a visual and understand where this was. Um, let me just tell you a little bit about Corinth. First of all, it was an important city in the Greek state of Achaia. That's the state, and you saw that on the map the Greek state of Achaia, it was actually a commercial capital. Uh, it was highly populated. Uh, it was very wealthy. Lots of money, lots of produce, lots of products, lots of materials. Uh, Corinth was a very valuable city. The other thing we know about Corinth, is it, was, it was a very immoral city. <laughs> it was filled with idolatry uh, and immorality, uh, especially sexual immorality. And, and so Corinth was a a very important city. Um, it was a commercial capital. It was a big city, very populated. Paul actually visited Corinth on his second missionary journey. 
So that's when he visited there. It was his second missionary journey, and theologians tell us that was around 50 A.D. So that's when Paul visited uh, this city of Corinth. He actually stayed there for about 18 months. And he stayed there with a Jewish couple, and uh, you know this from the book of Acts. He stayed there with a Jewish couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. And they had a common interest. They were tent makers. And so Paul understood that. Uh, He appreciated that. He lived with them uh, while he was in the city. And uh, they had so much in common. And they served the city uh, by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the letter itself, 1 Corinthians. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians around 54 AD while he was in Ephesus. Okay, So the letter that he wrote to Corinth would have been about four to five years after he had visited there. And so this letter was written while he was in Ephesus. Uh, something that's very interesting, and really I didn't know until I started digging, um, 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that he wrote them. The first letter that he wrote them was lost. Uh, they, they never received it, and so he had to write again. And, and so the first letter, uh, we don't know what happened to it, but it didn't make it to uh, Corinth. And so 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter um, that, that he wrote to them. And uh, he tells us that in 1 Corinthians 5 and in a couple of other places. So when we read the two letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, here's what we're reading. We're reading a message from a spiritual father to his children. I mean, you can look at the tone of the letters, uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Paul loved this church. He cared deeply for this church. He wanted this church to be a shining example of Jesus Christ. Again, why? Because there were so many people, right? There were so many opportunities to plant gospel seeds. And and so Paul wanted them to be the church that this area needed it to be. And so he was a spiritual father and and just addressing his children with very encouraging words. Um, As I read through and, and kind of mapped out 1 Corinthians, I really came up with um, what I believe is one overriding thing, one very important thing. There's, there's really multiple things, but if I could sum it up um, with one theme, I would actually sum it up with a question, and that question uh, is on your handout. When facing challenges, will we seek the wisdom of the Word, or will we seek the wisdom of the world? So if you were to ask me, Brother Jeff, if you could sum up 1 Corinthians with one sentence, how would you do it? I would sum it up with a question. We will either seek, we will, we will seek help in the challenges we face with the wisdom of the Word or the wisdom of the world. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the wisdom of the world is fool's gold. It is false wisdom. I'm just telling you ahead of time because you're going to hear that word foolishness and false a lot in 1 Corinthians. So, let's dig in. And I, I, I'm going I'm to move through. I'm going to read probably every verse tonight uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to spend a lot more time reading the Scriptures and maybe a little less time expounding, uh, because I think a lot of it is self-explanatory. Um, so let's, let's just dig in. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere 
who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this, verse 9. God is faithful. We said that quite a few times in the book of Joshua, didn't we? Isn't it amazing how that same phrase shows up over and over and over again in the Bible? Paul said, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's talk about these first nine verses. This is Paul's uh, introduction. And Paul tells us a lot about himself, but more importantly, he tells us a lot about Christ's followers uh, in this opening letter. He tells us a lot about God's church. Uh, I really broke it down in four parts. Number one, we are called to be holy. Don't forget that. You and I, as God's church, we are called to holiness. We are called to be holy. This was not just an individual call. This was a corporate call. Paul, yes, he's talking to each person, but he's talking to them as a body. He's talking to them as the church. And so we're called to holiness. Dr. David Jeremiah says to be holy means to belong to God. It means to be his special people. It means to be set apart. That's so important. So Paul, in his introduction, is reminding them right off the bat who they are. They are God's church and they are holy people, a holy people. Not only that, Paul says we are enriched. I love that word. He says we are enriched. Uh, God's grace is everything. It's everything for the Christ follower. And, and listen, it's not just 1 Corinthians. Look at any letter that Paul wrote. It's always going to be contaminated, and I hate to use that word, but that's the only word I can think of. It's every letter he writes is going to be contaminated with God's grace. It's going to have God's grace bleeding through it every verse every chapter of every letter he ever wrote. And that's the way it is in 1 Corinthians. He's going to remind them over and over again about God's grace. And so God's grace, uh, it's our salvation, yes. You and I, there is no salvation apart from God's grace. No way. Our salvation is all about God's grace, but it's more than that. God's grace is also about our equipping, right? So you and I are equipped to live this life as his children and as his church because of his grace. I love this. The word enriched in the Greek language, it's the word also used for plutocrat. And the word plutocrat means very wealthy. So think about that for a minute. God has made you and me very wealthy, right, with his grace. Think about that for a moment. We are rich in God's grace. We don't lack anything we need. That's what Paul says. We don't lack anything we need while serving the Lord and while waiting for the Lord. I believe something else here, and this is so good. Uh, we are expectant. I don't know about you. 
but, but I'm looking for the Lord to return. I'm waiting on it. Uh, as my Aunt Nancy used to say all the time, and she modeled Paul, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. My Aunt Nancy used to say that every day. We are expectant. And here's the thing. If we are eagerly expecting and waiting for the Lord return, shouldn't our lifestyle, shouldn't our lifestyle say that? Shouldn't the way we live tell others that we are waiting for the Lord? Our words, our actions should show it. And then finally, Paul shows us right here, we are dependent. We are dependent. As Christ followers, we realize that there is no holiness in and of ourselves. Holiness comes from God. Grace, you and I, we can't attain grace in and of ourselves. Grace is a gift from God. All we can do is receive it. Uh, We need to realize that there's nothing we can do to advance God's kingdom without God. Apart from God, you and I can do nothing. But with God and for God, we can do all things. Amen? And so I love this. The opening letter says a lot. We are holy. We are enriched. We are expectant. And we are dependent. And don't you love what Paul says? God is faithful. So here's the thing. If you depend on me, you're going to be let down. I'm just going to tell you because I let myself down all the time. But when you depend on God, He'll never let you down. Why? Because God is faithful. Look at verse 10. Paul's going to make his appeal now. Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. I'm just going to tell you, Verse 10 is impossible. Do you hear me? It is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit of God. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how good your people are around you. It is impossible. Verse 10 is impossible apart from the Spirit of God. There should be no divisions among you. You should be perfectly united in mind and thought. Verse 11, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Look at verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Verse 17 is so important. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, and he's talking about the wisdom of this world, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is such an important passage, and it really lays the foundation um, to the rest of the letter. Uh, Paul Paul has, has heard some news about Corinth. He's heard some news about the church. It's very obvious it's not news that he wanted to hear. It's not good news. He has not heard good things 
that are going on at the church. Rather, he's heard some things that, had, that disturb his soul, that disturb his heart. So, so let's look at what he's talking about here. First of all, we are called to a fellowship. Paul makes it very clear right here at the very beginning. We are called to a fellowship and to unity. So Paul says, by God's grace, we have fellowship with Christ. And if we have fellowship with Christ, guess what? We have fellowship with one another. Right? If we have fellowship with Christ, we have fellowship with one another. And that's what we're called to. So we're called to fellowship with Christ and through Christ. And and Paul says you're called to unity. You, You should be unified. He says very clearly there should be no what? Divisions. There should be no divisions. Now I want to stop for just a minute and I want to talk about this word divisions, okay? This word divisions in the Greek language, which is what Paul was writing in, the word for divisions is the word schismata. Schismata. The word schismata means a torn or ripped garment. A torn or a ripped garment. A split. So it's not divided into groups and moving the same direction. It's a garment that is no longer worth anything. It can't be used. It's no good. So when he says that there should be no divisions, he's saying you can't split from one another. You can't be torn apart from one another and be good for the kingdom. So, so this, is not, this is not good. Um, I also want you to understand when he calls them to agree with one another, when he calls them to unity, this is not a call to sameness. He's not saying you should all be the same. You should all look the same. You should all talk the same. You should all walk the same. This is not a call to sameness. This is a call to oneness. And there's a difference. There's a difference between sameness and oneness. And you're going to see that throughout the letter. I'm not going to harp on that a lot right now because we're going to see that more in the letter. But I love Dr. Tony Evans. Dr. Tony Evans says this, Unity does not equate with sameness or uniformity. Paul urged believers to be united in their understanding and their conviction about Jesus. That, that's what he was calling them to agree on. Let's agree on Jesus. Let's agree on his life, his ministry. Let, let's agree on his death, his resurrection. Let's move forward in ministry with the same mindset, with oneness when it comes to Christ. And so Dr. Evans explains that very, very well. And as you can see, Paul makes it very clear here, we we see the problem right off the bat at Corinth. Uh, The church at Corinth put their emphasis on the messengers rather than the message. Do you see it? They put their emphasis on the messengers rather than the message. What did he say? He said there are groups, right? There are divisions. And one division, one group says, I follow who? Paul. And another group says, I follow Apollos. And another group says, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. And then another group says, I follow Christ. And as you'll see, just because they follow Christ, all right, Be careful, because they're bragging about it. When they say, we follow Christ, it's like we're better than you. They're not saying we follow Christ in a humble way. They're saying we follow Christ in a very braggadocious way. 
And so you got to be careful. You got to make sure you read all of it and look at the context. These, these divisions are not good. Dr. Warren Wiersbe, he's another pastor that I love to read. Uh, Dr. Warren Wiersbe says this, the church got their eyes off of the Lord and instead put their eyes on the Lord's servants, which led to competition. That's good. They took their eyes off of the Lord and put their eyes on the servants and then they looked at this servant and that servant and they began to compare. Right? It began to be a competition. See, when I think of competition, I think of comparisons. That's what happens in competition. Comparisons are made and, and one tries to one-up the other. And so because of this, the church at Corinth was divided. Followers of Paul, followers of Apollos, followers of Cephas, and yes, even followers of Christ. I believe that's why Paul asked that simple question. Is Christ divided? It, that, it's really not a hard question. It, it, it wouldn't have been hard for Corinth, and I'm going to tell you, it shouldn't be hard for us. Is Christ divided? No. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Christ is not divided. Paul goes a step further. Were you baptized in Paul's name? He's not trying to be, he's not trying to be facetious. He's being serious. Were you baptized in Paul's name? He knows they weren't baptized in Paul's name. Now, something that you need to know too is that many of these teachers, like Paul um, and other teachers, a lot of them, they would have had people with them baptizing for them so that they could keep on teaching, okay? So, so, so they would have allowed their, their helpers, right? Hey, baptize for me. I'm going to keep preaching the word, and I'm going to send people to you. It was teamwork. They were working together. And so Paul wasn't, he wasn't trying to be braggadocious or put something in their face saying, hey, I didn't baptize you. Or I, didn't, I only baptized him. Right? It was, hey, look, I've been called the gospel. And, and others have been called to baptize, and we do it together, and, and we, we move forward. But I can tell you this, if I baptize you, I didn't baptize you in my name. That's what Paul is saying very clearly. Paul wants them to put their focus on Christ, right? We should put our focus on Christ and not anyone or anything else. Dr. Tony Evans, in his, in, in his I, I can't remember which book it is. I'm sorry, I didn't write it down. And I, I have read a bunch of his books. But in one of his books, he said, it is a sin. It is a sin to bow down to your pastor. It is a sin. That's what he said. It is a sin to hold your pastor up on a pedestal. That's what he said. And I believe that. You know what that's called? Idolatry. It's called idolatry. And I believe you should honor your teachers. Honor those who lead you. I believe you should respect them, right? Uh, and I believe they should honor their flock and respect their flock. But, but you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful because Satan would love for you to worship your pastor. Worship your Sunday school leader. Worship your, your deacon. or uh, Satan would love to that. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of churches that are struggling today. A lot of churches that are struggling today because they got their eyes on the servants rather than the Lord. And we don't want to be that church. Amen? Uh, and I'm going to try to help you. And I'm going to try to hold you accountable to that. And I hope you do the same for me. Because we in this together. Right? Not sameness, but oneness. So let's keep going. Verse 18. 
And I love this because uh, he just said, don't put your eyes on the messenger, put your eyes on what? The Christ. And so he's fixing to show you Christ and show you the message of Christ. Verse 18, for the message of the cross. Do you see that? He just said, don't look at servants. Look at Jesus. Don't focus on the messenger. Focus on the message. And verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. We, we saw that in Joshua, didn't we? I love this. <laughs> We're going to see a lot of things overlap uh, in the Old Testament and New Testament that we've just covered. He said, I will frustrate the intelligent. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Look at verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. I love that. Don't ask me for a sign. Don't ask me for a miracle. I'm going to give you Jesus. He's the sign. He's the miracle. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I love this. Paul makes it so clear. Um, I, I Listen, that's a lot of words. And I know if you read through it fast, and I apologize, I'm trying to get through this quickly. Uh, but it really is cut and dry. It really is. Th- th- this is not difficult. Paul pointed them to the cross. That's what he did. He pointed them to the cross, which is the wisdom. But it was what? Foolishness to man. Did you notice in this passage, um, like seven times, he uses the word or a, var- a variation of the word wisdom, right? And four or five times, he uses a, a variation of the word foolish or foolishness. I mean, that's what this is all about. Wisdom and foolishness. And he makes it very clear. The cross is the wisdom of God. But to the ordinary person who is simply looking with their eyes and simply thinking about it with this human mind, what does the cross look like? Foolishness, yeah. No no king is coming through that. No king is coming through the cross. That doesn't make sense. You're right, it doesn't make sense. From a human standpoint, that's foolishness. But from a heavenly standpoint, that's wisdom. That's the wisdom of God. To die on the cross, think about this. To die on the cross, it was the most vicious form of death at that time. Rome had mastered vicious forms of death. And man, the cross was what they were using over and over and over again. It was vicious. Not only that, it was shameful, right? To die on a cross was humiliating and shameful. For those who are saved... We should know the message of the cross is the power of God. It is our salvation. But for unbelievers and for those trying to think about it 
with their little human brain apart from the Spirit of God is foolishness. It's foolishness. That's what Paul says. See, the wisdom of God, and Paul shows us this, the wisdom of God enables us to see things with a heavenly perspective. I know in other letters, Paul says, set your things on minds of what? Above, not on things below. Paul wants us to have a heavenly perspective while we live this life. He wants us to think about, right? Think about heaven as we serve others, as we love others. He wants us to think with a heavenly perspective, not an earthly perspective. And Paul says the wisdom of God is what enables us to have a heavenly perspective. Many in Corinth, many, many in Corinth, looking for wisdom through reason and logic. Philosophers filled the streets in Corinth. If you study and you look at Corinth during Jesus' time, during Paul's time, philosophy was, um, that was the way to go. There were philosophers everywhere and people were listening to these worldly philosophers. They wanted reason, they wanted logic. Paul said right here, a lot of people were looking for signs. They were looking for miracles and they thought that was wisdom. But Paul says, no, the wisdom is the cross. Paul pointed to Christ crucified. Isn't that what he said? He said, we preach what? Christ crucified. Paul pointed to Christ crucified as the display of his wisdom. If you want wisdom, you got to look at Christ. And you got to look at Christ on the cross. Crucified for you. Crucified for me. That's where wisdom, that's where wisdom is found. The cross of Christ. He finishes up chapter 1 with these words. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. That's pretty important. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. I think he's probably saying that with a little grin on his face. Right? I I have to read it that way anyway. (laughs) Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But verse 27 gives us all hope. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Man, that's three good words right there. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I love this because as Paul's finishing up his his first chapter, and look, I I believe Paul... uh, he's in tune with God, he's listening to the Spirit. He knows exactly, right, how many verses and how many chapters he's going to write. He knows that this first letter is going to turn into a second letter. I believe that. And so he's in chapter 1, and he's already given them so much. I've heard some bad news, guys. I've heard there's some divisions, and I've heard those divisions are about men on earth and not about Jesus. He's thinking to himself, why would you do that? 
Why would you call yourself a follower of, of Paul or of Apollo? No, it's Jesus. It's Christ crucified. Did, 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 did I baptize you in my name? Think about all he said so far, right? There should be no divisions among you. You should be unified, right? You should be one in your cause and one in your call to, to Jesus Christ. And so Paul now, at the close of this first chapter, he calls them to remember. So the church at Corinth, they needed to remember. And I'm going to tell you, there's two things they needed to remember. Number one, who they were before. Paul says, remember who you were before you were called. And really, what's he saying? Don't forget, you were lost. You had a one-way ticket to hell is what you had. You were sinners and you were separated from God, separated from love, separated from grace, separated from mercy. Don't forget who you were before God. And this is so important. They needed to remember who they were before and they needed to remember that they were chosen. Don't you love when Jesus was talking to his disciples in the book of John? Jesus said, you did not choose me. You remember this? He said, you did not choose me, but I did what? I chose you. And he went further. He said, not only did I choose you, but I appointed you, right? So I chose you. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you. And Paul, he's saying the same thing here. He's saying, don't forget who you were before God did something, right? So instead of getting full of yourself, instead of this group over here says, we follow Christ, y'all are all wrong, <laughs> right? Big and bad, get, pat yourself on the back. Paul said, hey, before you pat yourself on the back, don't forget who you were and don't forget you were chosen. You didn't choose God, God chose you. Paul said, because of Christ, you have three blessings. Now, I didn't put this on your handout, but like I said, these these three things are everything. Paul says, because of Christ, you have righteousness. Because of Christ, you have holiness. Because of Christ, you have redemption. Here's the thing. You cannot be righteous apart from Christ. You cannot be holy apart from Christ. And guess what? You can't be redeemed apart from Christ. It's not going to happen. You're not redeemed because you're a member of Start Baptist Church. You're not holy because you're a member of Start Baptist Church. And you're certainly not righteous because you're a member of Start Baptist Church. Because I'm going to tell you, there's a bunch of members of churches all over this country that are going to die and go to hell. I hate to tell you that, but there's a lot of people that are members of churches that are going to die and go to hell because they never truly repented of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They put their faith and trust in themselves. They put their faith and trust in their works and in their good deeds. And your works and your good deeds cannot save you. You can pile them to the ceiling. You can bust the ceiling out and stick them on the roof. And your works and good deeds will never, ever get you to heaven. It'll never make you right with God. It's Christ crucified, period. I don't, I, I'm just telling I, in my Bible... Man, I highlighted that verse. I circled that verse. I put little stars all around it. I preach Christ crucified, period. I recently had a conversation with someone that says, isn't it more? Isn't it more? Isn't it more than just 
Jesus? And I said, no, it's not. No, it's not. I just kept saying, no, it's not. (laughs) No, no. And I'm going to keep saying no. You ask me that, I'm going to tell you no. And I'm going to keep saying no. No, Christ is it. And Christ is all. Christ is enough. Will I serve? Will I work because of Christ? You bet I will. But none of that makes me right with God. Christ is my righteousness. Christ is my holiness. And Christ is my redemption. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. Paul says in the last verse here, if we have something or someone to boast about, let it be Jesus, right? Let it be Jesus. If we have something to boast about, let it be Jesus. So this was a challenged church, and man, in chapter one, we're going, wow, like, you just hit us with a brick, and it hurts. Um, do we have challenges at Start Baptist Church? Yeah. I'm going to tell you we do, because I'm your pastor. That's challenge number one right there. We're going to face challenges, okay? And... Uh, the way we face challenges, Paul, Paul has kind of set the groundwork. The way we face challenges is we face challenges together. And, and we face challenges embracing each other, right? Embracing our differences. We don't have to talk the same. We don't have to walk the same. We don't have to dress the same. We don't have to look the same. But here's what we got to do. We got to agree on Christ. We got to agree on Christ, Okay? Now here's, I'll tell you this, if we don't agree on Christ, I got to go or you got to go. That's a division I'll take all day long. If you don't believe Jesus Christ is the only way to go to heaven, me and you got a problem. So if you got a problem with that, me and you need to talk. And I'm going I'm to point you to Jesus and get you to Jesus and help you decide. Paul, Paul says we got to be unified and we got to be one on this. Christ crucified. He is it. He is all. But all these other challenges, we can work through it. We can make it. Listen, if you want to paint the color of the wall white and I want to paint it khaki, or if you want the floors to be vinyl and I want it to be carpet, really, I'm going to walk on it either way. Right? I'm going to stand up here and preach whether that wall is green, purple, or orange, or white. I don't care. You might. might be a little distracting, right? There, there's some things that we just need to say, you know what, does it really matter? And, and, and really what I need to do is I just need to get over myself. What did I say at the very beginning? Sin calls divisions. Sin and idolatry. Right? Sin, self, and idolatry. That's what can cause divisions. But when it comes to Christ, we just got to agree. Christ crucified. Christ's perfect life. Christ's sacrificial death. Christ's resurrection. That is all that matters to you and me. That's it. You got to believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. The only way to be right with God. If we don't agree on that, then one of us has got to go. And it'll be okay for the one who believes that. The one who don't, God will take care of you. Christ crucified. I can't get over that statement. 
So we're going to face challenges, but we can face them together, and we can face them with the wisdom of the Word or the wisdom of the world. I will tell you, you want to make challenges hurt more, and you want to, you want to make challenges cause chaos, then you just lean on the wisdom of the world and see what happens. That's why there's seven churches in Start Louisiana. I'm not lying. That's, that's why you drive from here to Monroe and there's 40 churches. It's not because there's a bunch of people. It's because there's a bunch of people that don't agree on Christ. It is what it is. So, challenges, perspective. It's okay to be challenged, but you've got to lean on the word. You've got to keep your eyes on the Word. You've got to make sure your leaders are in the Word and are sharing the Word. You've got to make sure you are not bowing down and worshiping and holding your leaders up and following messengers rather than the message. Um, there, there's all kinds of good stuff right here in chapter 1, and I just feel like all I did was scratch it for you, all right, the surface. I'm going to ask you to dig deep. Read it for yourself. Pray. Allow the Spirit to stir your heart and speak to you.